Quick heads up, everybody. Due to the nature of the content of this episode, I strongly advise you don't listen to this with your children around unless they're older teenagers and you think they can and should hear this. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to the Story King Podcast, the show featuring inspirational conversations about the art and business of storytelling and living life. I'm your host, John Carlo, and today's guest is ordained pastor, author, certified neuro health coach, and CEO of TripleXChurch.com, Carl Thomas. A former porn addict himself, Carl Thomas has been helping others find freedom from porn addiction for over 10 years. In 2019, he launched Live Free Ministries and created the Live Free Community app to provide a safe and supportive community for men who hunger for real freedom. He is also the author of When Shame Gets Real. Here is my conversation with Carl Thomas. Carl Thomas, welcome to the Story King podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You're a different kind of guest, but I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have because I think it's it's an important one. I've been interviewing a few people about the subject of various addictions, alcoholism, drugs, and uh, food addiction even. And now we're going to talk about porn today. So Carl, before we get into that though, why don't you start by giving us a little background about who you are, what you do. What is the story of Carl Thomas in a nutshell? Well, that's a that's that's not a quick one. So I'll try to give you the abbreviated version. Uh, I run a I run an online ministry. Well, I run a ministry nonprofit called Live Free Ministries. Uh, we have a lot of different projects going on. Uh, we have the Live Free Community app, which is an online community for men who are seeking basically peer to peer support with their recovery efforts. Uh, we have something called Small Groups Online, which is at smallgroupsonline.com, and those are online weekly support groups for both men and women and spouses. So support for the women married to guys who are struggling. Uh, and then we also have um, livefreewives.org. That's for the spouses. That's basically, a uh, again, a peer-to-peer online community for, for wives. And then we have com, which we acquired back about a year ago. I worked for them for years uh, before I left and then came back and acquired them later after we launched Live Free. So we handle basically dealing with all sorts of things, mostly regarding sex, sexuality, porn, uh, all those you know recovery measures. Triple X Church, while we obviously point people towards our communities and recovery tools, Triple X Church is more about just trying to force the conversation uh, that needs to be having that needs to be had, uh, not just amongst us with our friends, but in our churches with our families. Uh, and just talking about difficult topics that nobody really wants to touch with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> and uh, so I run all that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm an ordained pastor, uh, technically. I mean, not technically, I am, but I don't lead a, a, a weekly service or anything like that. I'm a certified brain, a certified neurohealth coach. Uh, so that's just dealing with like a lot of the brain stuff when it comes to recovery. And uh, yeah, I'm been clean for about, I hate that word actually. Uh, I've been free for close to a decade now, over a decade clean, but been free close to a decade now. I, I have my own 
journey with this stuff, which started when I was a little kid, like most guys, uh, went all through high school, college, got married, didn't go away. Uh, but then I found freedom around at age 39. And uh, that was right around the time I got introduced to Triple X Church and started doing some stuff with them on a volunteer basis. Eventually got hired by them full time. And uh, yeah, it was a up and down journey from there on in. I, I worked with them on and off for about seven or eight years. Wow. Yeah, I, I had heard of Triple uh, X Church and that was with Craig Gross. Is that right? Correct. He was the founder. I mean, he still technically is the founder, but he's just, he's got nothing to do with the ministry anymore. Gotcha. And what exactly does a neural health coach do? Because I had read that about you and you just mentioned it. So what does that mean? Well, honestly, that certification, a lot of it has to do with amino acid um, therapy, like working with neurotransmitters to try to get people, their brains in a healthier order. Uh, because so much of our decision making and things like that comes down to the health of our brain. And so when we have really low or really high levels of dopamine or serotonin or all these sorts of things, they affect our emotional well-being, which then affects our state of mind and our 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 critical thinking processes. So uh, that's basically what it is. I decided to go that route because I'm just kind of a brain geek. I really enjoy that aspect of, I guess you'd say recovery uh, because there's a lot of things, uh, you know, in terms of dealing with past emotional hurt and uh, all sorts of stuff. But the, the stuff that fascinates me is the, uh, is the brain stuff, you know? So like, I, I really geek out on that. I find it super fascinating. So that's, that's where I decided to kind of plant my heels. Very cool. Well, let's start off with some numbers. How, how prevalent is porn use, at least in the United States? Why don't we start there? Well, you know, that's a tricky question because there's there's so many different claims out there and studies. Uh, the last the last two studies that I know of, or I guess you'd say professionally conducted surveys that I know of was uh, one was by Barna. That was, I want to say four or five years ago. And then Shira Gregoire, who runs a ministry, well, she runs a podcast and you know, author, deals with a lot of marriage issues, sex issues between husbands and spouses. She conducted her own, but it was, it was professionally done, 3,000 individuals. So it was pretty significant. The Barna one says, by and large, 50% of the men out there, 30% or more of the women out there all either struggle with or have struggled with pornography at some point, it gets tricky because what you're dealing with, anytime you get into these studies, it's all about how they pose the question and then the person's perspective answering it. So if you go to a guy and say, hey, do you struggle with porn? He might look at it (laughs) once a week, but not think it's a big deal and say no, right? Uh, You might talk to a guy who's super religious and feels really guilty about every little misdeed he does. And he might've looked at porn once in the past three years and say, yeah. So it, it can get super tricky, but the, I'd say that the stat that's been out the longest and seems to keep coming up in all these studies is around 50%. So okay. again, within that 50%, there's a wide variety or wide variance of severity. You know, you have the guys that are looking at it daily or multiple times a day. You have the guys looking at it once a month, once every three months whatever, but I'd say at least 50%. 
numbers even are higher than that when you're dealing with younger guys. Um, you know, some I've seen numbers as high as 74%. So it's it's prevalent, put it that way. And is it mostly a guy problem? I mean, I'm sure there's a discrepancy between men and women using it, or or is that not um, correct? The percentages are higher with men in theory. What I find challenging with women, just from our own experiences as a ministry, is women are far less likely or far less prone to identify as a person struggling with unwanted sexual behavior because historically it's been seen as a man's issue. So there's the shame of, oh gosh, I look at this stuff, and then the double shame of, and I'm not even a guy, right? So it's really hard to know the real numbers. But like I said, they say it's somewhere in the 30%, maybe even 40%, but it's definitely not just a guy's issue. Right. You know, books like Every Man's Battle that have been floating around for years and mm-hmm. probably should be thrown out. Uh, those <laughs> books perpetuate these myths, you know, that it's, oh, this is a man's struggle. It's the man's struggle. No, it's just, it's just a struggle. Right. And uh, it's very similar struggle to any other kind of unwanted behavior in, in the fact that the roots of it are very similar. Right. It's basically people trying to cope with life in a way that's not healthy. Some people cope, like you said, with uh, food, some with gambling, some with drugs, alcohol, some with porn. And, uh, you know, guys tend to gravitate towards sex, but, but women do too often. So. Well, well, let's talk about why it's even a problem, right? If it is ubiquitous in society and there, there's a large uh, prevalence of it, why look at it as problematic and not simply a normal part of modern society? So, so what, what data is there to suggest that there are some real issues with viewing it? Yeah, that's, a, that's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a loaded question, but that's also <laughs> kind of a tricky topic because it, it depends, honestly, where you're coming from. Uh, I would say if you have a, let's just say religious or Christian worldview, whatever that means for some people, right? It's going to be much more of a problem from your perspective because pornography and unwanted sexual behaviors interfere with God's intent for for sex and how that plays in the marriage, right? A lot of times, even Christians, when I grew up, I used to think of sex was this thing that felt really good. And it just so happens to work better in a marriage situation. And God just doesn't want me to have fun until I get married. But once you realize that that's not even close to the story behind sex and God created sex specifically for marriage to help build tremendous intimacy between you and your spouse in a way that very few things can uh, because of the, obviously the closeness, because of the, uh, the hormone, I mean, because of the, the release of, of neurotransmitters, I mean, when you have an orgasm, tremendous amounts of oxytocin get released, which is the bonding chemical, right? And so it brings you closer with a person. Uh, so obviously, if you do unwanted sexual behavior with something other that doesn't involve your spouse or involves a third party, that's going to interfere with the purpose of sex and how it's supposed to be an intimacy builder with marriage, right? Mm-hmm. So now, if you don't ascribe to that worldview and you're like, okay, that God stuff's a bunch of hooey, right? It, it is what it is. Then I would say, you know, just look at your life and examine it. And it, a lot of the a lot of the problems with pornography aren't something that's going to necessarily play out in a peer controlled, 
study that's done by a bunch of academics, right? It, it's not necessarily going to play out that way. It's more, hey, uh, you know, it's kind of weird, but I just can't seem to get through my day without looking at porn. Or, uh, you know, I don't know. Every time, every time I have an emotional meltdown, I seem to have to go to porn. You know, so it becomes this really unhealthy coping mechanism that a lot of people gravitate towards. And I would say, like any coping mechanism that's unhealthy, it's something that can create a problem in your life. You know, now again, there are those people that don't have a, a Christian worldview that would say, well. I only look at it once a year. It's not something I run to. It's not a problem. Hard to argue with that, right? Because a lot of it comes down to your worldview. And if if you see sex is just, it's no different than uh, when the when the doctor taps you with the knee at the doctor. It's just a, a natural bodily function, and it feels really good. So why not do it? If it's not visibly blowing up your life, it's going to be hard to talk to those people into a different, you know, uh, viewpoint. But I'd say for the Christian, it's pretty obvious, and and I'd say. That's not even including the whole morality thing, right? I right. don't even get into that that much because that can get really sticky. And yes, there's obviously a whole morality component, which is why in the church, it's such a big issue, right? Because people want to lean in the morality aspects of it versus, hey, this is just not really healthy for your relationship, right? If you know, if you do things, if you if you do marriage and you do sex the way God intended it. Your relationships with at least with your spouse are going to end up working out a whole lot better than if you don't, right? So now, maybe you're more familiar with. I remember somewhere that somebody did a some group did a study comparing like the porn user to almost cocaine use that has a lot of similar effects. Does that have to do with like just the dopamine center and all of that? Yeah, I mean, some of those things are the science and some of that stuff's a little questionable. Okay. Uh, you know, in terms of like, is it really as um, addictive as crack? You know, <laughs> right. I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of things. There's so much stuff out there. When it comes to sex, any, any, any of these sexual topics, honestly, the, the studies can vary. And um, unfortunately, a lot of it also comes down to the quality of the um, sampling, right? If you do a study with 200 people or 300 people, it sounds great if 50% say this, but 300 people is not, stati is not statistically significant, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that could be just you grab the wrong 300 people. So all these things are a little confusing, but there's no doubt that, yeah, there's a, there's a dopamine release and rush uh, when you're looking at porn and when you're orgasming. And it's significantly higher than what your brain is used to basically running on. So that's why when you get guys who are really struggling and this they're kind of new to this journey, that's why I, the, the whole topic of sobriety becomes such an issue. It's And again, that's something that can be really confusing because so many people out there make sobriety. It's like, it's all about sobriety. No, it's not. But sobriety absolutely is critical to the recovery process, especially in the beginning, because a lot of these guys come in and their brains are used to operating at a dopamine level that's five times as high as it should be. Mm -hmm. And so it's, man, you got to detox and come down to earth because if you're operating with this really false high level of dopamine, it's going to be almost impossible for you to actually do the critical thinking and deep work you need to do to, to, to go through the rest of this process. Now, I, I had read that you said somewhere that Porn really isn't the problem. And you said it just a few 
uh, answers ago that that you mentioned that it's something that people run to to deal with life issues. You know, like it's almost symptomatic of a deeper issue. Can you expound on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, my friend and uh, Steve Luff, who actually he he he's got a new book coming out soon, but he was the guy behind our X Three Pure video series, like behind writing all that content. Probably the smartest guy I know. Uh, you know, he's 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 got a whole theological background, but he's also a licensed a therapist and all this other stuff. And uh, he he really knows this stuff. Uh, and I think the word he used was. Um, the, the two classifications were, I got to remember now, I started, I, I see, I get myself into a situation and then I forget the word. So that's <laughs> awkward. Adaptive and maladaptive. So we have adaptive resources and maladaptive resources. We all do, right? For, for dealing with things. So an adaptive resource is your relationships. That's natural. That's, that's meant to be there, right? We're supposed to be connected with people. So I have a struggle and adaptive resources to go to my friend and talk about it. That's an adaptive resource. A maladaptive resources or maladaptive resources are generally things that are kind of exterior and they're not really part of the natural process. So drugs, alcohol, porn, gambling, right? These are all maladaptive resources that sometimes we turn to to do the things that adaptive resources should help us, you know, address. Um, so yeah, when I say porn is not the problem, sometimes that freaks people out because it's oh, porn is a problem, porn is a problem, you know, and it's the whole anti-porn thing. It's like, listen, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but you know, the the bottom line is it's the fact that you have emotional and psychological wounds that you have to address. You have these things about your, you know, in your brain, in your in your heart that you need to deal with because those are the things that are driving you to this maladaptive resource. And the reality is, if you deal with that stuff and you learn how to handle it in a healthy way, it doesn't matter if porn is out there or not because you don't need to go to it. One example is kind of like fast food, right? I mean, you don't see a bunch of people picketing fast food places, although they probably should. Given the <laughs> right. you know the amount of heart attacks they cause, but everybody likes fast food, so no one's going to do that, right? Um, but I'm I'm into I'm I'm into fitness, right? And I and I definitely try to stay in shape. I I work out all the time, and I, I try to watch what I eat. And you know, I'm not saying I'm a a vegan. Like I you know I I enjoy a good steak and and, and a beer here and there. But but overall, I I really watch my yeah I try to watch my diet, keep my macros in check, uh, because at the end of the day. I know that I value my health and I, and I know what's good for me and I know what's not good for me. If a McDonald's opened up right next door to my house, which would be strange, but if it did, it wouldn't affect my life at all, except for the traffic, right? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, oh, McDonald's is there. I think I'll, you wouldn't, you wouldn't catch me eating Big Macs every day, right? It's just, right. I'm not interested in that. It doesn't appeal to me. It's not something I want. It doesn't fit in with with my basically my goals and values as, as it pertains to my health. So I don't need it. So it can be there. It cannot be there. It's not a problem. That's not to say that fast food isn't a health, can be a health problem. It's just not a problem for me because I don't need it. You know, same thing with porn. Right. No, it makes a lot of sense because it's, it's kind of like if you live next door to Atlantic City, it doesn't mean you have to go there gambling all the time. Right. It's like right. the same right. type of thing that that makes actually a lot of sense and and kind of takes the pressure off of uh, 
the culture, right? And and puts it on you, puts you in the driver's seat. Like I need to to change my values and make better choices. Absolutely. And that's I think that's unfortunately, I think that's the kind of the downside, if you will, with a lot of the anti anti talk, right? A mm-hmm. lot of the it's not again, not defending this stuff, not saying it's good, not saying that it should exist. I'm not I'm not saying, oh, hey, we're all better off as a society that porn is out there, right? That's not what I'm saying. But when we make that, it's an easy culprit, right? It's so easy. That's the easy road is like, well, let's just blame the issue. Let's just blame the thing that we're abusing rather than taking ownership for the abuse of it in the first place and figuring out why we're abusing it, right? Uh, it's just it's just an easy route. And uh, it's, it's not going to really help you do anything, you know, at the end of the day. Now, as an ordained pastor, you obviously see, see problems of how church has traditionally handled the issue. What does church need to do differently by and large? And I'm sure I'm sure that differs from church to church. You know, some I'm sure some churches are doing a better job than than others addressing the issue. But you know, overall the Christian church in the United States or whatever you're familiar with, like what needs to kind of change? So I wrote a book back in February called When Shame Gets Real. Uh, a new way to talk about sex, porn, and masturbation. And there's a chapter in it called uh, The Silence That Kills. And most of that chapter was focused on church culture and some of the issues with it. And I would say the best thing a church can do is start engaging in these conversations and recognizing that this is just a part of life, right? And it's not something that we only talk about on certain nights of the week or only in certain rooms or only with certain people, right? We don't have a problem talking about our diet issues within a group of people. We don't have a problem, honestly, even these days. I mean, it's, you know, back in the day it was that, but you come into church and say, yeah, you know, I I have a drug problem or I have an alcohol problem. It's not really that weird anymore to hear people say that. It's just kind of like, oh, cool. I'm glad you're here. You know, we have people that are op- very open, often, not all the time, but often about the fact that they're a financial mess, right? Oh, I live check to check. Where's when's that next Dave Ramsey seminar? Right. It's just like these are all things that we accept as part of life, and they're not a good part of life, but they are a part of life. So let's just talk about them and and then if you happen to need help in that, we'll provide some resources or point you in the right direction. But when it comes to sexual matters, eh, not so much, right? We don't really want to talk about these things. We don't really want to treat it like it's just a natural part of life. Uh, it's it's still very much taboo. And uh, I would say that's honestly the biggest issue because, you know, it's funny, but when you do get a church, that's kind of aggressive, I guess you'd say, in terms of, hey, we're going to launch a recovery program or we're going to do this, we're going to do that. They put themselves, unfortunately, in a bad spot because give them credit, they're being aggressive. They're trying to do the right thing, but then they get almost no buy-in, right? They get very little buy-in from the congregation. And they, then they scratch their head and say, well, I guess either A, it's not a need, or B, it's just, I don't know what to do. And so a lot of times they'll end up scrapping the thing because you have a church of whatever people and five guys show up out of 5,000. It's kind of like, oh, geez, really? You know, but the reason is because we're not, we're not even talking about this stuff in, in a general sense. So if you're one of the 2,000 guys in that church to probably struggle with this stuff, 
you're not going to raise your hand and say, oh, hey, listen, uh, you know, that poor masturbation thing that happens to be a, a problem for me. They're not going to self-identify because it's, it's seen as this thing that you just don't talk about in church. In fact, a couple months ago, we focused in Triple X Church, we focused all our blogs around basically problematic teachings and things like that. And uh, it was one of our more aggressive ones, but the, the I wrote a blog. I can't remember the name of it. I think it was called uh, "Silence Isn't Always Golden" or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when I did that blog post, I did some research and I went on and I looked at three, four mega churches, like stuff that a lot of people know. Uh, Stephen Furtick's Elevation Church. I looked at Andy Stanley's church. I looked at TV Jake's and his weekly program. I looked at um, Joel Osteen's church. Right? None of these guys are people I listen to normally, but I know they're major, major mm-hmm. players in the evangelical world. I went back in their sermon archives. I gave up after 2020. <laughs> like not one, not one sermon that where the focus was, let alone porn, sex. Like wow. there wasn't anything. That doesn't mean I didn't listen to all the sermons. I'm sure maybe they slipped in some sort of comment about, you know, porn or this or that, but nothing where it was actually a theme. In fact, on uh, Lakewood's website, which is Olstein, they had uh, under their archives, they have a, hey, pick by topic, right? So I selected, I picked the drop down. It wasn't even a topic. Wow. They had about 20 topics, not one topic <laughs> on sex, porn, dating, nothing. Wow. Like, and this is like one of the biggest churches in America that attracts the most people worldwide on an online basis. If you're the guy struggling with porn and you come to that website and you hit topic and nothing comes up, what's the message they're sending to you? You know, you're weird. This isn't a thing. Yeah, yeah you're or, an anomaly. <laughs> yeah. Or, hey, we don't want to talk to you. Yeah, that's the message you get because you're already dealing with a lot of shame to begin with. So it's, yeah, what can we do better? Let's let's start recognizing that this needs to be part of the daily conversation. This is just life. Uh, sometimes that freaks people out, you know, especially parents. We talk about masturbation, and I say, "Hey, listen, masturbation—it's just a part of life." Oh, what do you mean? What are you saying? That, you know, it's a, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a good part of life or a bad part of life, or it's something I approve of or disapprove of. All I'm saying is people do it. Most kids end up doing it. All right. You need to just get used to that fact and start talking about it like it's a part of life. Because if you keep treating it like it's this weird thing that nobody does, nobody's going to talk about it, let alone your kids. Right. So just like opening it up and just being real honest about it. I mean, my wife and I, we joke, we moved from Queens to, uh, to Tennessee recently in the past few months. And, you know, we're in the Bible Belt. And when you're driving down south, one of the things you notice when you're driving down the highway is all these adult super centers, <laughs> you know, and yes. it's just it's just funny because you're in the Bible Belt, but that's where you start seeing all the adult super centers. And, you know, you have to wonder, it's just interesting. And the fact that you said you actually researched to try to see if you can find this topic and, and you're just not finding it. So, and, and it could be too. I mean, it, it, do you think also that there's a possibility that if these guys who, and I don't want to, we don't want to assume anything about any particular leader or whatever, but if there's a, a leader, a pastor, or whatever, struggling with the stuff himself, he's probably going to be less likely to even address it. 
you know. So yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, that's that's definitely can be an issue. Um, and I'm not saying it's those guys, but they say I forgot what the percentage is: twenty or thirty percent of pastors struggle with pornography. Um, I mean, I know they do. We have them in our community all the time, right? That's a it's it's a it's a real struggle for for many pastors. And and yeah, so it's going to feel inauthentic or hypocritical to get up and talk about this stuff if you deal with it, especially if you can't leave with transparency and say, hey, this is my issue. Because if you say that, you're probably getting fired, right? So that's absolutely a potential or part of it. But honestly, I'd say it's even more than that. Um, when I wrote the book, I did some research again and started looking at seminaries. Uh, a lot of a lot of really well-known ones, not not like ones you never heard of, but really well-known ones. And started going through their MDiv programs and seeing what the requirements were and what the electives were. None of them had anything on sex or sexuality or anything. In fact, one had an MDiv program. Now, this is an MDiv program, not, not some master's program with 36 credits. We're talking about an MDiv 80-some credit program, which in any other discipline could almost be a doctorate, right? We're talking about some severe or significant learning. I can't remember what the degree was actually called specifically, but it was, you know, Dr. Uh, MDiv of online ministry or something like that. But it was online ministry. That was the, that was the core. Online ministry. Right. All right. <laughs> Clearly, obviously, they would have something on porn and sex. Right. right? Obviously, because that's when you're talking about online, that is where a lot of the people struggle. Nothing. Right. Wow. Nothing. So it's, I think a lot of it is you got pastors coming in. They don't even under, they don't know anything. They don't understand it. They've never been taught about it. They're maybe their only frame of reference is that they've struggled with it. They don't know anything about the real components of it. They feel ill prepared to handle it. And unfortunately, especially, I mean, as people, we all feel the need to fix things, but especially as a pastor, like there's that pressure that you need to have the answer, which is an unfair pressure, but it's a lot of times it's a pressure that they feel. Right. It's like, well, I don't have the answer. I don't even understand this thing. So I'm not going to talk about it because if someone comes to me and asks me about it, I don't know what I'm going to tell them because they have no training. Right. So I'd say that's a huge component of it. Then the other one, this is a little might come off as a little critical and, okay. and skeptical, but I would say just real world from conversations I've had, from things I've seen, put it that way. Yes, this isn't, I can't point to a study, but just real life experience. There's very little ROI in talking about porn and sex. Very little, right? Um, you, you launch a financial freedom workshop, that gets people in the door. That gets butts in the seats. Uh, that brings people from outside the church because they want to learn how to get out of debt, right? Right. You launch a sexual integrity conference, nobody's showing up. <laughs> or if they do, right. you know, it's like there's nobody coming outside of that's going to see the flyer at the local coffee shop. It's like, oh, that sounds great, right? It doesn't have a lot of ROI. It's not going to put butts in the seats. In fact, depending on how you tackle it, you might lose people. And churches, unfortunately, these days, that's the last thing I want to do is lose people. So I think a lot of it also is an ROI thing. Like, no, let's talk about the topics that people want to hear about that's going to get attendance, that's going to gain, or uh, that's going to be attractive to people. Let's not talk about stuff that's kind of scary, 
kind of weird, kind of vulnerable because that's not really going to attract a new crowd. Right. No, I, I can see that. Throughout the years of doing this work, what are some common things the spouse of a porn user goes through? I'd say the biggest thing is just a tremendous sense of betrayal. Um, you know, I mean, and, and it is a betrayal on many levels, but, uh, yeah, I'd say that's the biggest thing. In fact, you know, when you're dealing with the, the spouse side of, of ministry, if you will, that's a, or even not even ministry, just when you get into counseling and things, that's a very common term is betrayal recovery. Uh, you know, so they go through that, right? Because here's this person that they're married to that they, you know, said, Basically, in theory, you're I'm the only one, or you're the only one, and then they find out that you're they're not the only one, and you're looking at this or looking at that, and masturbating to this and masturbating to that, and so it's a tremendous sense of betrayal. And I'm not, and again, I'm it is a betrayal. But I think uh, what's really hard for a lot of spouses to get your, their mind wrapped around is that I'm not going to say all the time, but I'd say most of the time their husband's issues have very little, if anything, to do with them, right? Uh, now, the assumption is because it's a sexual behavior, it's sex-related, right? So I'm not attractive enough, um, I don't do it for him anymore, or I'm not having enough sex with him, or he's just way too horny. You know, like these are the thought processes, and it's no, like most of the time, it's really none of that. Uh, yes, they might come across as quote unquote super horny, but that elevated sex drive is has everything to do with the with the unwanted sexual behaviors that they've been acting out with for years, right? So yes, they have an elevated sex drive or a hypersexualized drive, but it's not that they were born with that. They kind of cultivated that. Uh, but again, it's it's not them most of the time, right? It's no, your husband often brings this thing into the marriage without them even knowing, then they discover it. And this is just how he's been coping with life all along. And now they're in it because their husband was never honest with them in the first place. So that's the main thing they struggle with. Then, you know, as they work through it, obviously, you know, now you got to deal with trust issues and all sorts of stuff. So it's, it can be a really painful and tedious process. What's really difficult sometimes for the spouse is to not like feel like they have to control the situation. I've, I've seen a lot of spouses where they, they want to own the recovery process for their husband. What, what can I do to get him right? What can I do to make him better? Uh, what should I be telling him to do or not do? That sort of thing. And it's no, like you can't own his recovery. He either wants it or not, you know, he's either going to go after it or not. You can hold him accountable to make sure that he's doing the things he's doing. And you should absolutely be involved in that process together. Uh, but you can't run his world and keep him clean. Like, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. Uh, if he wants to act out, he's going to act out. And you have really little to do with that, you know? So that's a big thing. That's a hard one to try to overcome because our, our tendency is that if we can control this situation enough, it won't be a problem. And that's just not going to be the case. And you seem a little bit leery of the studies that, uh, of really any of the studies, but I remember reading 
and I should have wrote these down, <laughs> but I didn't. But I remember reading that a lot of spouses go through what what's similar to PTSD when when they when they uh, discover the their spouse's porn use. I mean, would you say that that's accurate or no? To be honest, I haven't really researched that myself, but I have talked to enough therapists over the years that have all echoed that, that I would say, yeah, that it's, it sounds true. Okay. Um, in fact, I know, I know one therapist where uh, he, he does a whole program and, and he shared all the notes and yeah, there's a lot of PST, PTSD symptoms and, and situations. So yes, I would say that is most likely very accurate, but again, I can't, that's not really my wheelhouse. So right. um, I can't tell you that I did the research, but. Now, what happens to someone when they stop using porn? Let's say for a year, what are some tangible changes a person can expect? I would say, honestly, the biggest change is, like I said earlier, is your brain kind of resets and starts operating at a normal level in terms of dopamine and things like that. So I'd say that's the biggest change. But the more you, the more you get away from it, the more you remove yourself from it, the more your your mind or your brain is going to have uh, more time it's going to have to kind of start relearning new ways of dealing with things if you've go if you know for the past 10 years every time you have a job deadline that seems severe you go to porn and masturbate that's going to be your go to right because your brain just makes those assumptions that's uh, that's how our brains are they're they're very smart and very selfish. Uh, and our brain does, our brains will do what makes it feel good, not necessarily what's going to make the rest of us feel good, right? It, it, our brain's all about, hey, what makes me feel good? So I'm stressed. I know what makes me feel good. I'm going to go to that. And, uh, you know, trying to break that connection is very, very difficult. But the longer you go without it and the more you learn new ways of dealing with say job pressure or job stress over time your brain's going to start saying to itself i don't need to do that i could go do this instead right and again it's not going to happen overnight but yeah that a lot of those reflexive uh, reflexive yeah tendencies are going to start to dissipate and give you a little more of a chance shall we say or clarity in the moment to make a better decision gotcha so you kind of have to replace the coping mechanism with something healthier. That's the idea. Yeah, basically. I mean, there's it, it's two sides of the same coin. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times when it comes to this discussion, uh, we most most people want to lean in on one side or the other, right? They don't want to lean on them both. So when you get into old school behavior modification thinking, especially again, like not picking on it. Well, I am because I, I just don't think any guy should read it, but every man's battle, like those types of behavior modification, they really lean in on the, it's all about making the right choices. And it, and and there is a element of decision-making, but where, where those things go wrong is it's about, they lean in on decision-making, but more from an aspect of willpower and grit right i'm just going to i'm just going to force myself to do the right thing i'm not going to allow myself to do the wrong thing so that sort of thing more recent curriculums 
whatever you want to call it. And then when I say recent, past five, six years have really leaned in on the other side of the coin, which is the, hey, porn it's, porn's not the issue. It's the emotional pain. It's the trauma that you dealt with. It's all this stuff. You need to deal with that or none of the rest of this stuff matters. And the reality is it's, it's, it's kind of, it's both, right? They're the same coin. There is absolutely an element of pain and trauma and I mean, huge, right? You, you definitely got to work through that stuff for long-term betterment and healing. But there's also the decision-making aspect of it, which is, hey, why do I make the decisions I make? And why does my thinking brain, I call it the lizard brain, but why does my lizard brain kick in all the time when I have an option rather than my critical side or my thinking brain? Why doesn't that kick in and say, wait, wait a minute, guys, this isn't a good idea, right? I know you're stressed, but pulling down your pants and masturbating at work doesn't sound like a good idea to me, right? <laughs> right. And the lizard brain saying, no, it's a great idea. Let's roll with it, right? <laughs> so there's absolutely an element of decision-making, but the, but they come, that they grow to, I mean, uh, they work together. Again, Steve left the way he explained it, and I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of vagal tone and all that stuff because that now you don't have another hour or I don't have another hour to do that. But our ability to make good decisions has a lot to do with fight and flight reflexes, right? And so when we have been emo- emotionally wounded or emotionally scarred, we generally lean towards fight and flight mechanisms more. Right, which is our lizard brain. It's survival. What do I got to do to feel better right now? What do I got to do? What do I got to do to feel safe right now? Right. It's just survival mode. When we have more healing in our life and we start dealing with some of these past pains and things, now we can start working with our higher brain where it's now, okay, hey, this is the situation. This is how I'm feeling. I know the way I'm feeling isn't necessarily the best way to go. How does this align with what I want to do with my life, with my goals, with my values? Is this the best decision to make? Probably not. Would it feel good? Sure. But you know what will feel better? Making the better decision, which is going to lead to better results, right? So it's a lot of that. So it's both these things playing in together. Right. What was that term that you keep saying? Vagal tone? What is that? Yeah, vagal tone. So you have something called the vagus nerve. It runs up and down your body, right? And it's um, unlike a lot of nerves, it's a two-way feedback system, Mm. right? And they say basically vagal tone is it's kind of like muscle tone, right? When you have uh, when your vagus nerve is healthy, or I I don't know how to explain it, but high vagal tone means you're 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 healthier, right? You're um, you're operating parasympathetic parasympathetically more than sympathetically, right? You're not, you're again, thinking more and analyzing more versus just reacting out of a fight and flight stage. When you have really poor vagal tone, you can either be operating at a fight or flight stage or the, like the worst you can be is where it's shutdown mode, right? So that's like where you run into people who are catatonic or, you know, like that's the, that's as low as it gets, right? right? Where you're just you literally shut down because your body doesn't know how your mind and body don't know how else, don't know what to do, right? It's not even it's not even that is survival form, just shut down. 
So, um, and a lot of that is, uh, yeah, your vagal tone is influenced by all sorts of things, your diet, exercise, you know, community, all sorts of things. And that's, that's where that decision-making aspect comes in. But again, it gets connected to the emotional healing part because when you're processing these things, you start feeling safer about the world and safer about the people you're around. You're not going to be feeling that fight and flight urge, right? I see. So, what would you say to someone who has been struggling with stuff for a long time and can't even imagine not struggling? So, what you're somebody who's been, uh, you said you don't like the word clean, but uh, not using porn for over 10 years. So, what would you say to that person who was in your shoes 10 years ago, but it's currently there now? Yeah, I would say uh, I've, I've been there and I get it. And there are many, 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 many times where I just assumed this was going to be a lifelong thing. And I would say, first thing is, don't even worry about that. Like, don't even obsess about that. Oh, am I going to be over with this? When am I going to be over? Don't rush it. You know, it's borrow a 12 steps thing, you know, one day at a time, right? Don't even worry about that. Worry about what you're not doing right now to help get yourself out of it. So if, you're sitting at home, you're being solitary, you're not in any sort of community, you're not getting any sort of support, you're not doing any sort of therapy, you're not doing any sort of learning, you're just trying to beat this thing on your own. Yeah, it's going to be a lifelong struggle because you're not doing anything, right? Get those things in your life that have been proven to be effective, I would say even needed for real freedom. So get into some community get some support, maybe seek out a counselor, do some therapy, these sorts of things. At the very least, buy a couple good books and learn about the, like what really is the nature of what you're dealing with and start making some steps. right? And I would tell you that I've seen enough guys get through this thing and not go back that it's totally possible. But unfortunately, a lot of us we either don't do the needed steps and so we we just give up because we don't see you know what they say uh you know, definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Mm-hmm. That's the average porn addict, for lack of a better words. Right. Right. I, I don't understand. I keep throwing out my computer. I keep adding blockers. <laughs> I keep doing this. Why is the game better? Because you're doing the same thing. You're not doing anything new. There's other things you need to do to, to get through this stuff. Right. It's not that simple. It's not a, it's not a, a light switch. You can just flip. And a lot of guys are just going to give up. Uh, mostly because a lot of a lot of it because of the shame that they deal with and that part of shame shame super self defeating and tells you like no you'll never get through this like what are you doing you're fooling yourself and then we buy into that say yeah you're right I can't I can't beat this thing so change it up go do the stuff you need to do um, and and don't worry about well will I ever be free of this you do the right stuff you do the process you embrace the process you do the work. Trust me, you can definitely get free of this, but it's not easy. It's not quick, uh, and there's going to be ups and downs. And when you when you hit a when you hit a roadblock or what feels like a roadblock, you can't just throw in a towel. You have to, in many ways, embrace the failure, right? See what happened, process it, think through it. What could have gone better here? What went wrong there? What was I going through emotionally there? And try to learn from it for the next time. And, uh, you know, eventually you'll get there. Right. That's great advice. Carl, if people wanted to reach out to you, if they want to get your book, When Shame Gets Real, get plugged into the Live Free Community app, 
Where can they go about doing all that? Uh, the easiest place, honestly, because it links to all our resources is if you go to triplexchurch.com, right on the homepage, you'll find links to everything. You'll find links to the book. You'll find links to Live Free. You'll find links to uh, our small groups online program or X3 Pure 30-Day Recovery Workshop, online workshop. You'll, you'll find links to everything. And then um, in September, we actually have a, uh, an event coming up called Shameless. And it's going to be an online, basically simulcast type event that um, it, we're going to open it up to individuals who are not necessarily connected to a church or connected to a church that's participating, but it's also going to be something that churches can sign up for uh, and register for, for their groups. And the, the whole point of that event, and it's going to be a couple of hours because there's going to be breakout sessions and everything. The whole point of that event is to talk about what we talked about earlier in this show, which is how do we have these conversations in a healthy and meaningful way um, so that we can then move forward and take some steps to kind of you know fix the things that haven't gone the best. We'll just put it that way, right? So uh, you'll be able to find all the details about Shameless on triplexchurch.com as well. So triplexchurch.com. Carl, I'm going to make sure I have that link in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and the important work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, buddy. So that was my conversation with Carl Thomas. All of his links will be in the show notes. Don't forget to check out storykingbooks.com. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. The username is storyking.podcast. I post weekly short stories, weekly tips, and quotes from famous authors. You don't want to miss that. And please click like on our Facebook page. We're at facebook.com forward slash storykingpodcast. If you'd like to be a part of what we're doing with this show, please consider becoming a patron. You can choose a monthly membership tier at www.patreon.com forward slash the story king. All those links I just mentioned will be in the show notes. One more thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do me the favor of sharing the show with your friends and on social media, subscribing to it, and leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Story King Podcast, a show about the art and business of storytelling and living life. Please join us next time. Until then.